A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the French Revolutionary Wars, part four of six. If you'd like to know more about the background to the French Revolutionary Wars, then I recommend listening to the first three parts of this series. But if you've already listened to those, or want to continue anyway, then let's begin. Last week I talked about the French Revolution and the build-up to war with Austria, whose royal family were concerned for the safety of the imprisoned French King Louis XVI and his wife Marie Antoinette. On the 1st of March 1792, Emperor Leopold II of Austria died suddenly at the age of 44 and was succeeded by his 24-year-old son Francis or Franz II. On the 20th of April 1792, the French Legislative Assembly formally declared war on Austria and mobilised for battle. They hoped that Prussia would decline to get involved, but King Frederick William II honoured his alliance with Vienna and declared war in return on Paris. On the 25th of July, the Prussian commander, Charles Duke of Brunswick, then issued what became known as the Brunswick Manifesto. This document stated that Berlin and Vienna has no intention of enriching themselves by conquest and promised that all those who submitted to the imprisoned French king would be protected. But in more menacing terms, it also threatened Paris with fire and sword should the royal family be harmed. Accompanying the Austro-Prussian force was a small army of French émigrés led by the king's brother, the Count of Artois. These proved to be more trouble than they were worth, however, as they were deeply unpopular with the French population and ineffective as a fighting force. And so began the initial phase of the French Revolutionary Wars, known as the War of the First Coalition, 1792-97. to Combat began already in late April 1792, when French troops launched a poorly organised invasion into the Austrian Netherlands. After only a brief contact with the enemy, the columns headed back in headlong flight. A second thrust launched in June was not much more successful. These initial encounters demonstrated the enormous problems faced by the French army 
where the ties of discipline were loosening dangerously as a sizable proportion of the noble-dominated officer corps had left the ranks or even joined the emigres. The revolutionary volunteers provided manpower, but they lacked discipline or fighting experience. In mid-August, the Prussian army, led by the Duke of Brunswick, crossed the French border and quickly captured the town of Longvy. Instead of systematically reducing the region's fortresses to secure a firm foothold and safe winter quarters on French territory, a more daring, direct advance on Paris was then decided upon. The Prussians advanced through to the town of Valmy on the road to Paris. Charles Estelle describes the Battle of Valmy of the 20th of September 1792 as perhaps the greatest non-battle in all history. The Duke of Brunswick, with some 30,000 troops, confronted about 54,000 men under the French commander, General de Maurier, who held an excellent defensive position near the small village of Valmy. An army of 7,000 Austrians arrived too late to take part in what really consisted of just an exchange of artillery fire with only a few casualties on both sides. Brunswick then ordered an advance and his army marched forward across the undulating plain beneath the hill on which de Maurier had arrayed his forces. However, having reached only halfway to the enemy, Brunswick tamely retreated off the field without ever having put the enemy to a serious test. Brunswick then decided against a further advance toward Paris with strong French forces in his rear, and led his army back to Prussia. Further north, the Austrian Governor-General of Belgium was forced to abandon the siege of Lille at the beginning of October, so that by the end of the month the enemy forces had been cleared from French territory. Although the Battle of Valmy was an insignificant skirmish from a military point of view, it proved a decisive turning point as a moral victory over the invaders and a boost for French morale. It provided the French with an iconic moment to help rally the nation and the revolution when their commander, Francois Kellerman, as the Prussians retreated, is supposed to have raised his hat and made a famous cry of Viva la Nation, and the cry was repeated again and again by all the French army. The fact that the appearance of success was crucial for morale and for retaining the initiative in wartime was never more evident. With Paris potentially still under threat, the more radical revolutionaries helped rouse popular anger of the king, whose foreign friends they feared wished to restore his former powers and to crush the revolution. On the 9th of August, Paris once more rose in revolt and the radicals took control of the streets. Early the next morning, the 10th of August, a coalition of National Guard soldiers and revolutionaries converged on the Tuileries Palace, the residence of Louis and Marie Antoinette, which was defended by the Swiss Guards. The king's courage failed him. He retired from the palace and escaped to the nearby National Assembly, whose members agreed to provide him and his family with sanctuary. He was later kept in a medieval fortress called the Temple in northern Paris, effectively as a prisoner. Meanwhile, back at the Tuileries Palace, 
The crowd rushed inside and massacred the defenders. The next day, the Legislative Assembly voted to suspend the king, replacing him with a five-man executive council. He also convened democratic elections for a new national convention, scheduled for the following month. Chaos in Paris persisted until the same day as the Battle of Valmy, the 20th of September, when a new parliament named the Convention met and became the new de facto government of France. The next day it formally abolished the monarchy and declared a republic. Fears of a counter-revolution drove the revolutionaries to further violence. The most notorious episode is the so-called September Massacres where between 1,100 and 1,400 prisoners were butchered. Although supposedly targeted at counter-revolutionaries, the great majority of those killed were social offenders such as prostitutes or common criminals, without the remotest connection to politics. The crisis of the summer of 1792 was a major turning point in the revolution, ushering in a republic with universal male suffrage for men. However, it did not have the same popular support as the First Revolution of 1789. Divisions among society grew deeper and the political system was unstable. The latest insurrection was led by a minority who resolved to crush counter-revolution by any means. The Marquis de Lafayette, for one, French hero of the American War of Independence, was outraged at the events of August the 10th and tried to organise a counter-revolution to restore the monarchy. But unable to drum up enough support and facing arrest himself, he fled France. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Militarily, the French pressed on three fronts against the Austrian Netherlands, the Rhineland and also Savoy, whose king, Victor Amadeus III, was an ideological opponent of the revolution. When a French army invaded Savoy, they were able to occupy the duchy almost without resistance. In late September, another French army moved into Germany and by the end of October had captured a string of cities, Speyer, Worms, Mainz, 
and Frankfurt am Main. The most important battle of the campaign, however, came on the 6th of November at Yemap in Belgium, where General de Maurier won a hard-fought but decisive victory over the heavily outnumbered Austrians. Within a week, Brussels had fallen, and within a month, most of Belgium had followed suit. Military success in the Rhineland, Savoy and Belgium generated a mood of triumphalism in Paris, but it also presented problems, the most obvious being what was France to do with the territory the armies had won. The revolution had gone to war without any clear war aims, so it was now a time to invent some. On the 19th of November, the National Convention passed a decree declaring that the French people would grant fraternity and assistance to all peoples who wished to recover their liberty. This was a complete subversion of international order, an open-ended justification to intervene in the internal affairs of any other state. It naturally aroused alarm regarding French territorial ambitions, including among those courts which, until then, had purposefully stayed out of any involvement in the affairs surrounding the revolution. The pace and pressure of change did not abate. Savoy was incorporated into France. Then, on the 3rd of December, the decision was taken to try Louis XVI. Next, on the 15th of December, a decree was issued that in any territories occupied by the French, the old regime should be replaced with an elected assembly, with all adult men allowed the vote. It was anticipated that the people, in this way freed, would support France, and maybe even seek union. These decrees, alongside the execution of Louis XVI in January 1793, focused the growing concern about the new and by now very radical regime in Paris. The true revolutionary nature of events in France was dawning on everyone, including the possibility of the export of the revolutionary principles. In Britain, the French Revolution had at first been genuinely welcomed, though based on a misunderstanding that events in Paris were like those in London in the Glorious Revolution of 1688. And British ministers generally assumed the revolution would temporarily weaken France internationally. But there was widespread revulsion at the trial of Louis XVI and his subsequent execution. But to Prime Minister William Pitt, what was most alarming was the French invasion of Belgium, on top of their provocative decision to open the River Scheldt, which was in contravention of the Peace of Westphalia. This was a threat to the Dutch Republic, which posed serious challenges to British interests in the region. The British could no longer be passive observers. In February 1793, France declared war on Britain and the Dutch Republic, and in March it was Spain's turn, who vigorously denounced the execution of the French king. In the course of the year 1793, the Holy Roman Empire, the kings of Portugal and Naples, and the Grand Duke of Tuscany all declared war against France. Thus the first coalition was formed, after which the first half of the French Revolutionary Wars gets its name. By the beginning of 1793, the fortunes of war were shifting once more. An important symbolic moment came on the 2nd of December 
1792, when the Prussians recaptured Frankfurt and Main. Not only did it show that the German powers were beginning to take the war seriously, it also demonstrated that French confidence in the revolutionary potential of the rest of Europe was entirely misplaced, for the local population had risen in support of the Prussians and had opened the gates to them. In the spring of 1793, France came under attack from multiple fronts. In the south, the Spanish invaded Roussillon. In the east, the Prussians went back on the offensive, driving the French out of the Rhineland. And in the north, the Austrians gained a great victory at Neerwinden on the 18th of March, reconquered Belgium and advanced into France, while at the same time a British force under the Duke of York besieged Dunkirk. France also suffered internal divisions when rebels opposed to the assembly seized a large part of the country, including the port of Toulon, which surrendered to the British Royal Navy at the end of August. A revolt against the revolution in the Vendée region of western France was particularly prolonged and difficult to subdue. It was in response to the critical situation at home and abroad that on the 23rd of August 1793, the National Convention completed the long transition to full revolutionary war begun four years earlier by calling for every citizen to be a soldier in a decree which is usually referred to as instituting the levée en masse. But it was more than that. It was also the first declaration of total war. The result was the conscription of what was probably the largest army ever seen in Europe, estimated at around 800,000. In addition, a new raw aggression was brought to the conduct of war. Deputies of the National Convention were sent to the front to terrorise the generals out of any sense of defeatism and to go more on the offensive. Any general who lost the confidence of the government was dismissed or even executed. In August 1793, the French military regained the initiative with a victory at the Battle of Honshuta in northern France, when the Duke of York was forced to abandon his siege of Dunkirk. After mixed fortunes on the Eastern Front in the autumn, the French forced the Allies back across the Rhine by the end of the year after defeating the Austrians at the Battle of Wetany. And on the 19th of December, the French recovered their port of Toulon from the British after a series of nearly four months. Prussia's enthusiasm for the war was seriously waning. The victories were not as easy to achieve as first hoped, and Frederick William's attention shifted to the east with the opportunity to make easier territorial gains at the expense of Poland. He combined with Catherine II, the Great of Russia, to bring about a second partition announced in January 1793 and implemented during the course of the year. Prussia thereby acquired Danzig on the Baltic coast, the city of Thorn on the Vistula and a chunk of western Poland. Prussia's preoccupation in the east gave the French a crucial pause to regather. One other reason for French successes on the battlefield that year was numerical advantage, but tactics were also important. The characteristic battle manoeuvre of French revolutionary forces and the best way to use the mass of new and inexperienced soldiers, most of whom were in the infantry 
was the improved use of independent attack columns. The French combination of mobile artillery, skirmishes and assault columns, which together put the emphasis on attack, proved to be very potent. The turnaround of officers was very high, with a system based on meritocracy rather than on noble status. The French benefited from a number of young, energetic and determined commanders. These included Jean-Baptiste Jordan, who achieved victory in the Battle of Yamap, and also seemed to be the case for a junior artillery officer from Corsica named Napoleon Bonaparte, who assisted in the Siege of Toulon. In France, there was further political turmoil in 1793 with the coming to power of Maximilien Robespierre, who embarked on a fully-fledged reign of terror. The new regime decried all obstacles to their rule as the work of malevolent enemies of the revolution. The press was curbed and political opponents purged or executed. Between June 1793 and Robespierre's overthrow and execution in July 1794, over 16,000 official death sentences had been dispensed throughout France and an additional 10,000 died in prison. The new government was less radical at home, but no less keen to continue the war abroad. I hope you can join me next week for part five of the French Revolutionary Wars, when the French begin to make some remarkable successes. In the meantime... Check out the podcast Facebook page or Patreon page if you'd like to help support the show. Thank you for listening. Until next time, all the best and goodbye. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 